In recognition of National Public Safety Telecommunicators Week, we are rebooting episode 20 that features hardcore dispatcher and my friend, Kim Brophy. Now, enjoy this episode and then find yourself the nearest dispatcher. Tell them how much you love and appreciate the work and support they provide to operations. Now, go on now. Enjoy. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast where the views and opinions are your host, that's me, and those of the guests. Speaking of which, today we are sitting down with Kimberly Brophy. Uh, She's a dispatcher, has been for quite some time, and she shares with us what happens in the uh, secret place where they dispatch all these calls from. Uh, Helps us understand what that looks like and how calls come in, how they go out, how they manage them, etc. Great conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Kimberly Brophy, you you work in our uh, regional communication center, and you know before we get into all the cool stuff about what you do and the communications that you do and all that jazz, tell me a little bit about who you are, where you come from, how you landed in Phoenix, okay, why um, you stayed in this hot, <laughs> crazy desert. So I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. And I grew up there, lived there until I was 17 and a half years old. My mother was fortunate enough to get a job with America West Airlines. And with the promise of flight benefits, I would come here and graduate high school. And I just continued to live my life out here in the desert. And uh, I don't know. Um, found a couple friends in high school that were interested in the fire department at a really young age. And so that ignited my interest. I had had a, kind of a childhood trauma incident, and I knew growing up that I wanted to help people, but I didn't know in what capacity. So ended up uh, getting an EMT certification, and kind of and uh, kind of developed from there. Got a job with Sun Lakes Fire, which is a tiny, tiny retirement community south of Chandler. Yeah, and they had their own fire district. And they had a closet um, smaller than the room that we're sitting in now, and it had a microphone sticking out of the wall and a couple 911 line Ericsson phones. And those are just like private phones that we use day to day in the office that I'm in now. And uh, I was answering 911 calls with just a little bit of experience and oh, a little just bit for of, the Sun Lakes area. Yeah, just for Sun Lakes, and we operated off of Chandler's. Was that with a? Do they have like one? Uh, one truck at the time or, two. or one station? Two stations. Okay. So they had engine 231, engine 232, and they both had rescues. At the right. time, now they're medic uh, trucks, but same difference, transport units. And uh, a lot of chest pains, a lot of I've fallen and I can't get up, and a lot of um, service calls, customer service calls, so a lot of walk-ins where I check blood pressures in the lobby. And so it was kind of like the receptionist and the secretary and the – the 911 dispatcher when he needed to be, and then, you know, the fireman actually worked in the station uh, next door to me. And so, or I'm I'm in the lobby at the fire station, essentially. So your communications center yeah. is in the lobby. <laughs> My communications closet <laughs> was in the fire station. Nice. Right, down also, the hall from the I fire chief's the office. humble beginnings. <laughs> Very humble. I love it. Very humble. And um, it was a really nice job. It was uh, it paid well. I worked shift work. I started out on night shift. I 
Um, I have to say that was really hard staying awake because everyone in Sun Lakes goes to bed at eight o'clock and only <laughs> if it's very important do they call <laughs> after hours. Right. So we should probably say that, yeah. uh, for those who don't know Sun Lakes, it's a retirement community. Mm-hmm. And I think what's its age restricted, like what, 55 and above? 55 and better. <laughs> That's what they call it. <laughs> All right. It's, however you want to frame it, I guess. <laughs> and, yeah. So, uh, it's just south of the small town called Chandler, which is where I live. And then, uh, the, um, the radio frequency that we used was the backup frequency for the city of Chandler's police department at the time. And they did police and fire dispatching for themselves. And so I thought the natural line of progression would be to continue my career in Chandler Mm -hmm. and, uh, that was police dispatching. And without going into too much of a detail, it wasn't a very good fit for me. I yeah. was, I consider myself fire and medical and police dispatching is a whole other, very different, whole different ball game yeah. and, uh, not a lot of happiness there. And, uh, especially for me, I wasn't very happy there. And so I went back to Sun Lakes for a little while until I got hired with Phoenix Fire and then full circle, Phoenix Fire eventually became, um, responsible for dispatching in Sun Lake. So I now Welcome. dispatch for Sun Lakes again. Welcome, Welcome home. home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so, well, so the reason I asked you to come and sit down is I know that, um, as a, as a first responder in the field, there's a mystery about what takes place up in the, uh, up in the, of the tower up there, uh, where you guys live and work and, and, and make stuff happen. So I had a, you know, I figure if it's a mystery for me, it's probably a mystery for a lot of folks on how it works. So why don't you, let's start with what happens when somebody picks up the phone and they're having chest pain and they call 911. Well, like what does the life of a, of a phone call, like a 911 emergency phone call look like? Where does it go? Where does it, how does it route through the system? Okay. Well, there are a lot of different variables. So if you're calling from a landline, we can obtain your address easily because it's part of the telephone record system. And so we can identify where you live pretty easily. However, not a lot of people today operate with landline phones. No, who's got a landline anyway? Well, I had one until a few years ago, <laughs> oh, but it's only because I had a young child in the house sometimes and wanted to have, you know, I know, I know what's up. So I wanted to have <laughs> the right kind of phone. And now I, you know, I operate with a cell phone. Cell phones are pretty accurate. They're accurate within 25 feet. Um, as long as you have a generation two or above a phase two phone or above. And so the technology with cell phones is improving. However, it does not give you an exact address. It gives you GPS uh, location coordinates, coordinates, correct. And you can kind of formulate an address from that as long as it's accurate. And as long as you have all of your ducks in a row, the cell phones pinging off the right towers. And so you can get a pretty good location from a cell okay, phone. Okay, just a sidebar question. Is there a way that you are able to determine the accuracy? Like when that call comes in, are you guys yes. able to go, yeah, this one's like on the money? Yeah, we work with several different monitors. And the, the one monitor that I'm looking at when I'm receiving a call is the phone map monitor. Okay. And the phone map monitor will display either a very large circle or a really 
a more pinpointed circle, but it's not a pinpoint. So it's a lot like my Google Maps, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Kind of idea. If it's mm-hmm. getting multiple signals, it can kind of triangulate my position yeah. more closely. And I have the option of maybe retransmitting the signal to see if I can get a better catch or better capture for them. Okay. Um, you should know that when you call 911, you don't automatically speak to myself and my peers. You speak to the police department first. They're considered a primary service answering point. And so the police department has to determine whether it's a fire, medical, or police emergency first. Interesting. Because they need to know whether they're going to be involved. And I believe, uh, because there are more police agencies, that that's why they get that. Um, they get the first right of refusal. Get, yeah, the first. Well, I mean, yeah, I think there are, there there are more volunteer fire districts. There are more rural communities with people that just you know hear the bell and they respond. But there are more police agencies that exist out there. So that I feel sense. like they they went with the the numbers to get better customer service. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So. Uh, the police department can determine whether it's a police, fire, or medical emergency, and uh, many times it's all of the above. So, a car accident, for example. Okay, is- I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for one second. So, okay. because I have never called nine one one in my life, and maybe someday I will, and I'm sure most people most people probably haven't. Uh-huh. Um, so, what does that sound like? Um, well, the way the police department answers is nine one one. What's your emergency? And so, the, or they say police, fire, or medical, and that's your prompt. What is it? What's happening? Okay. And um, then when they when they determine what it is, then they'll say, okay, what's what's the city? What's the location? And then that determines which department they're going to transfer it to. So, it if it's a car accident, for example, that is a police issue because there's a crime that's been committed that's caused an accident, and then there are possible injuries, and then there are possible you know, damage to the vehicle, maybe a fire involved. It could be all of the above. And so that's how it's determined, like who to field this call to. And so when there's injuries determined or if the vehicle's on fire or whatever, it gets transferred up to our center. And so when it gets transferred to me, my protocol is, uh, the way I answer the phone is fire department, what's the address where you need us? And hopefully that is very specific and quick enough um, to determine where it is. And then the details start, you know, happening like, oh, well, is it a, a rollover? Anyone trapped? Um, how many injuries do you see? That determines the level of response we send. So if it's one person, one serious injury could warrant paramedics and potentially a rescue, depending on what city. And then if it's multiple vehicles, multiple patients, that's going to warrant more trucks, right. command, command officer, multiple ambulances, et cetera. So, so, so I have a quick question that I, I have, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I have all these questions. So what, so when someone calls 911 and um, they get through the PD line, what's the typical, in your experience, what's the typical time that that takes for the, the call to come in from the, to PD and for them to route that to fire? Seconds. Okay. few seconds tops. Um, the objective is when you receive the phone call and when the police department receives the phone call, the ultimate objective for all of us is to get the call dispatched from the time that I receive it mm-hmm. and to the time that it gets processed, the call gets entered. And then the channel one operator, that's the person that um, kicks out our dispatches, um, 
by the time that happens, that duration can be no longer than 90 minutes or 90 seconds. Sorry, that would be terrible. That would be 90 really minutes. bad. <laughs> yeah. So 90, 90 seconds is what we're going for. And so my objective, my individual objective is to get the call entered and processed within a minute. That's my personal goal, but that's also our, that's our operating standard. So that's the time it takes for, for you to gather the information and launch the appropriate resources. 95% of the time. Okay. There are other variables, like if the person is non-English speaking, if the person can't speak well, if the cell phone isn't giving you a good location, if they can't provide it to you. I mean, there are all kinds of variables that would deter me from meeting my personal standard goals. Right. And, uh, and so that's why it's 95%, because we know that the system is flawed and not perfect and people are not perfect. And so, right. so we, what, you know, what do you do when you get somebody who you have difficulty communicating with? Like specifically like a language resources. Yeah, we have so a language line. Okay. Uh, it's an 800 number and we have a, a subscription or an agreement with that agency. And, um, we call, we give our, uh, agency code, um, so they can identify who's calling them. And then we give our personal code, which is my badge. And then we ask for what language and it could be Swahili. It could be Spanish. It could be, um, let's see, man, uh, Mandarin Chinese is uh, pretty popular. Um, What's I've the most unusual language you've heard? The most unusual that I've heard is probably Swahili. Yeah, that that's sounds, why I said it first. I think unusual. that's why I said it first because it was like, well, that was a standout. It was, yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I can pick up a little bit of Spanish here and there, and I can kind of get an idea of what's happening. And then Swahili Swahili speakers come on and. I am so lost. I am so at this person's mercy. Please give I me the details as well as you can. Yeah, you know, I can't even imagine. It's pretty scary. It's unnerving. You know, you, I don't like depending on someone else's accuracy to, you know, perpetuate my own. So. Right. Mm, interesting. But I'm OCD. So that's why I thought, <laughs> that's, what I thought that's what that is. Yeah. So, so, um, language line. And then there are other, uh, obstacles, barriers, whatever, what have you. Um, there could be a fight in progress. Well, we can't send, okay, I can, I can enter the call. We can send the call, but we can't actually get there yet because the police department has to secure the scene, you know? So there are a lot of different variables that determine like whether or not you're going to get service in the manner that you expect to receive it. So, um, but we're really bent on our times. You know, we want to, process the calls hum as you know fast as humanly possible because seconds matter and lives matter and we're here to help you. So that's well, the objective. And in, in your in your agency, how many calls are you getting in well, in a, in a So in our agency so the calls for service that we actually send on, um I think we hit in the neighborhood of like four hundred and ninety five thousand last year. So we're going to surpass five hundred thousand calls of service this year. And uh, we send, um, well, besides the calls that we send, we field a um, myriad of customer service related calls, like uh, calls that would be fielded to fire prevention or just informational calls, like where do I get sandbags for storms, things like that, working up my uh, infant's car seat uh, installed and just customer service related calls and then, or thank yous or complaints or what have you. Right. And so I think our center answers upwards close to a million calls per year. Wow. Like just phone calls, all the phone calls, including the no sends, including the, and a no send is when we want to document that we spoke to somebody, but this is why we're not the appropriate 
person to help you. And we will document like, well, we sent them to fire prevention or we sent them to the police department or this got routed to the wrong uh, fire department. So Mace is handling this. Oh, I see. So we have What's an incorrect address or something mm-hmm. like that. It's the, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you know, we have a lot of different borders in Phoenix. We have very many suburbs. And so, uh, someone on the freeway can call and they would actually be, you know, on the border of Mesa and Gilbert or Mesa and Chandler or Mesa and Tempe or Phoenix and Tempe. And so like a lot of our cities kind of bump up against each other. And so it's really hard to determine like, well, what's the appropriate city for this accident that's happened on the freeway. Right. So, yeah, we, we have a hard enough time to navigating the crazy freeways by ourselves, mm-hmm. let alone like somebody who's passing through town mm-hmm. and all they know is, Oh, I was going to Phoenix. So I'm in yeah. Phoenix. This is the Phoenix metro area. I know I'm in Phoenix, right? Fortunately for you, there's four or five freeways that travel towards Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. <laughs> let me help you. Right. Um, wow. That's okay. Cool. So, so then the call gets entered within the time allotted, hopefully. And then the call gets sent to Channel 1, which is our main dispatch channel. It's uh, Channel 1, uh, K1 and A1. And it's a 300 megahertz, I think is what it is. 300 or 800, 800. megahertz. 800. Okay, so um, medical calls get dispatched on 800 megahertz channels. We call them the KDEX. And then the hazard channel are the ADEX, and that's a VHF channel. So... Depending on the nature of the call, it gets, you know, CAD, our wonderful CAD, will determine what channel it goes on based on location and what type of call it is. And then it happens pretty much, I'm not going to say instantly, but really close to instantly. CAD right. will choose the appropriate response requirement. It will choose uh, the right engine to go based on uh, automatic uh, vehicle location, which is GPS coordinates of your trucks, as long as that's all working well. Right. And it typically does. And then the call gets assigned that channel. And then depending on what channel it is, it gets routed to your tactical radio operator. And that's one of either four or six operators. In depending the on staffing levels depending and on given, given levels. time of day or what have you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then that person will document the call, ask for outside resources, ask for callbacks to verify things, details. Do you have any garage codes, door codes, any any windows open so we can get in to help so, these people. So does the the original caller get pushed to each one of those people? No. To a certain degree, where does that person land? So, like, if you need additional information and you have a, where does that person's last? Where were they handed off to last? They're not uh, well. When I answer the phone, I get as much information as I can, so it doesn't get kicked back to them because I want yeah. them to have the right information in the first place. Okay. That doesn't always happen. Um, and even for me, people need to call back on my calls sometimes, but, uh, for the most part, if you can get all the details that you're supposed to get, we follow an EMD structure. So we have our questions prompted in front of us while what, we're entering the call. What does that mean? EMD? EMD is emergency medical dispatch. So okay. it's kind of, uh, basically our protocol on how to deal with medical emergencies, mm-hmm. depending on what your emergency is. So you asked for like a chest pain call earlier. So my line of questioning or that, which I've taken so many of these calls, I've got them memorized so I can recite them for you. But, um, your address of your emergency, your phone number and your nature code is what you need to process a call. That's all the information that CAD needs to give you what you need. And then the details start after that particular, uh, incident gets entered and the details is, uh, what's called a patient information mask. And so the call is entered, and then I get a second mask, and I start filling it out with the patient's age, whether they not have any infectious, contagious diseases, anything catchy. Um, (laughs) 
usually have to spell that out because sometimes you get, well, we only have pets on, we only have a couple cats. When I asked that question, which is <laughs> kind of funny, I was like, what do you mean? Well, you know, farm and have cat, cat allergies, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. That, uh, well, <laughs> that, that makes be, sense now. That would be good now. to document okay. that. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. I was like, why, why do I care if you have cats? I can't tell you how many calls I've done where one of my one of my guys bails out of the house. They got cats. They got, I can't go in there. That makes perfect sense to me for someone that has never actually gone into someone else's house on a medical call. Yeah. You know, I don't know that that's know. something I would ask on the front end for reals, but it's definitely, maybe we need to add that to the EMD because I, I think our boys would appreciate that. I feel so enlightened, right? That you can't, I can't tell you what that means to me that you've explained that to me because why would you be offering that you have cats? Anyway, so um, if there's anything I think it's because cat lovers yeah. want to share that they have cats. They just need the world to know. That they have cats. I guess. I guess. So anyway, um, patient information, uh, are you catchy? Yes or no? And if you are, what do you have? And then uh, medical history. So for chest pain, do you have a history of heart trouble? Right. How long have you been having the pain? Right. Is it radiating anywhere? Did you take any medicine for that? Are you feeling this symptom? Trouble breathing? Um, are you sweaty? Are you feeling nauseous? Have you vomited? That's I feel like I'm back in EMT class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I know that like the back of my hand because I take yeah. so many, so many chest pain calls. It's it's really scary. It, and um, a person my age taking calls, and I see my age pop up on oh yeah my screen. It's like oh that is my mortality knocking at the door. So it's kind of upsetting. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's I guess that's why I've got it memorized. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm down on what symptoms I should watch out for myself <laughs> when, in, in case that ever happens. But anyway, so uh, patient information mask that gets sent along with the call. It's an it's an appendage to the call. The incident and it goes into the incident history without anyone having to actually put it in there. It just automatically goes. But it also gets sent to the trucks as they're responding to the call. The trucks arrive shortly after and then they have kind of their fundamental information and then they can follow up with their paperwork when they start actually speaking and touching the patient. So, right. And then um, if they need any additional resources, that's what your tactical radio operator will get for you. And then nine times out of 10, they get transferred to the hospital and then the call is over. That's all you guys know. Mm -hmm, that's all I know. So I'm going to, I'm going to go heavy here real quick. Okay. When I think about, you know, the, the, the way that ball gets passed, right? There's so many pieces in there where the original car take the, the original call taker doesn't actually know how this event transpires. The tactical radio operator is dealing with the firefighters and has sees the kind of information come in and they go out and then they may or may not know how the event closes. They may know someone get transported, but they don't know any details. Mm -hmm. So is there ever a time when you're like, I really want to know what's going on here. Like I want closure on this event, but you don't ever get it. Um, okay. So I had mentioned I'm from Missouri. It's called the show me state and I need all the information. <laughs> so that's me personally. Um, a lot of people don't really uh, keep mind or tabs on their callers unless it's something that resonates with them. So, mm. um, you know, we have, all different walks of life in the alarm room. We have all different types of people with different situations in their home life. And so whatever kind of taps them on the shoulder, those are the calls that they want to know about. So if someone's recently lost a parent and then they take a call with 
you know, an adult child calling and they're talking that person through CPR and they're basically reliving the trauma that they had just experienced. Right. That means something to them and they want to know if they made a difference. So that would be pertinent for that person. Someone with a young toddler in the house right. and then they take a drowning call with a the toddler. Mm-hmm. They want to know how that turns out. So I can't say that it's all the same for everyone. I know that I've had my own story and my own things happen to me. And so whatever resonates with me, I ask. Yeah. And I, I either ask my leader supervisor to follow up for me, or if it's somebody that, you know, I'm familiar with in the field or that I've spoken to before that I feel comfortable asking, I will ask, but our center's so busy. We really don't have time to do that all the time. Well, so, so that's a really good point. I, I was, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to some of the folks that worked up in the alarm room and we had an incident, uh, was a couple of years ago now that was incredibly, uh, tragic. And I was talking to, um, the dispatcher and he said he had, he was on the phone with the person keeping them on the line and they were dying. Mm-hmm. And when, um, you know, they, they were on the phone for, I want to say it was approximately 30 minutes keeping them on the line. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than to say they were, he was keeping them engaged. Right. And then also gathering information, you know, he'd hear sirens. You can, you know, he, when you listen to the audio, you can hear the sirens coming. You hear the smoke detectors going off. You hear it's a very complex call, spare the details, but the interesting thing was I said, okay, so the line eventually goes dead and he loses contact with the person who was, we know was dying. They had a gunshot wound and they were dying. And so he basically takes this person, talks them all the way into their, into their passing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I said, okay, well, what'd you do then? And he's like, oh, I took another nine one one call. And, uh, it, it just struck me how, I mean, there's, it's very similar in the field. You know, you, you run a a code, you run a pediatric code, you pack your gear back up, you reset your equipment and you go available. Mm -hmm. And then you very well can be on a mountain rescue or you're on a fire or you're, you immediately go to the next event. Right. You mark yourself available. That means you're available for whatever happens next. Right. So that you're, you're putting yourself out there. I'm ready. Yeah. Right. So the, I didn't, you know. That actually set me back on my heels a little bit, and I was shocked at um, how real that was to me. I'm like, wow, that's a lot like it is on the fire truck. We, we mm-hmm. just they turn and burn, right? Off you go. You're on the next call. So how do um, how do you manage that, like emotionally, medically, mentally, spiritually? How do you stay sane with that type of? That's a loaded question. It's a hard okay. question. So, I know. Well, um, you know that I'm a member of the peer support team with the fire department because you're also a member of the peer support team. I've seen you at training. You've seen me. <laughs> and uh, so that's one of the biggest resources. If you take something upsetting, uh, you're, we have uh, a way of flagging your incident and marking it as a high-stress incident. If, uh, you know, it could be something, like I said before, it could be something just it seems run-of-the-mill, but we know that person. We know what they've just uh, endured in their home life or personal life, mm-hmm. and we know that it bothered them. And so we try to mark that call and follow up with them, have a peer follow up with them. And then sometimes we bring in the CR vans, which are the crisis response vans. And we have a social worker and I believe an EMT on those. And they'll walk you through your traumatic 
episode if you need to be spoken to about it or if you need to uh, follow up with heavy heavy duty counseling um, they'll give you the right therapist to call um, we have a, well we had for many years father Carl um, our Phoenix chaplain. Fire Department chaplain. Mm-hmm. So um, he would always be a, a really good resource. We have a new chaplain. I'm, I'm sorry, his name escapes me. But we do have him as a resource as well. And um, so, yeah, there, there, are different, um, there are different ways of dealing with things. It, it might not happen instantaneously after you take that call because you might have to do some other work. Um, usually, if we have the staff allowance, the supervisor will say, do you need a few minutes outside? You want to decompress? You want to go walk down, you know, up and down the hall for a few minutes, take a couple deep breaths, and maybe have a glass of water, chill for a second, not having to ha- answer another 911 call right away. Yeah. But, you know, staffing allowed. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's there's many different ways of dealing with your, your stressors that way. Um, there's deep breathing exercises you could do while you're at your console. I'm a really big fan of that. Actually, I've got um, a couple techniques that Carrie Ramella, that your previous guest spoke of. She's mm-hmm. our director for peer support. And so there's lots of different tricks of the trade that you can employ if you're having a hard time. And, uh, or there's just your neighbor right next door to you. Like we have probably, well, we have 90, about 90 dispatchers on staff, and at any given time, there's probably around 20-something dispatchers in the room. And, you know, go seek out your friend. Go seek out your best friend that you work with, that you see, yeah, and that you trust, and kind of, you know, share some things with them, and they'll share some things back with you, and, you know, you just lean on each other a little bit. So I'm sure that happens in the field also. It absolutely does. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a huge, I mean, that direct the person who's in the trenches with you, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like is one of your, it can be one of your best, you know, advocates and one of your best resources when it comes to, you know, the shared event. And, you know, you know that person better than, you know, you know, some random peer support team person, mm-hmm. right? Not that there's, mm-hmm. I think there's value in that, but you know, there's definitely value in the person who's, who knows you more, not more closely. Our peer support team is, um, you know, you say random, but we have people, the person that's in charge of our uh, particular division of the peer support team is Sony. She happens to be a good friend of mine. And she um, will get the page for the stress call. And mm-hmm. then she has, you know, she, she knows us all. So she can determine who's the best fit to go talk to Kim because she's just had this, you know, um, adult child with their father just passing because that's what I just endured, you know? So, right. uh, she knows. And, and then if she's not there, she'll call the alarm room and say, Hey, um, had this page come out. Can you check on her or him and, you know, and find the best fit, you know, or right. who's there? Um, our, our telestaff has our peer support team members, uh, identified, you know, PSD next to our name and telestaff. So if you ever wonder if, you know, you need somebody to talk to in the alarm room, it's, it's noted. And so is it in the field. It's, it's identified that way. Right. So that's, that's really good. I think that you, the way that we use that program, it's, I, I use the word random. And I guess it, mm-hmm. what I meant when I said that is, um, it's not the person who's sitting there in the trenches with you per se, right? right? It's somebody who's adjacent who has similar experiences, but is adjacent. But I love the fact that, um, 
you said Sonia, the, the, the person who's managing that is mindful of who or who that person who identifying the peer support person that you're sending. Yeah. It really makes good sense. It's important. She has a knack for that. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and I think a lot of us, we have that tool in our, you know, we, we have that in our wheelhouse that we could, we can figure out like who responds to whom in the room and, and who, uh, I don't know. I have a couple of people that I continuously go to or sit by or situate myself next to when I work. So I know that they're close by. Right. And I think that everyone has that ability to kind of discern like who works with who and who doesn't work so great. And, you know, I mean, I've got a couple of people that I work with that are super, a lot younger than I am. They're, you know, the age I was when I got hired. Right. It's 24, 24. And I have, I have a daughter that's that age now. And so, uh, but, but Katie, uh, is, uh, somebody that works on my shift. She is my daughter's age and she's one of my go-to people. She gets me, I get her and, you know, so we just, we, we just have our connections up there. It's like, good. it's like that. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, I think it's so important regardless of where you're working or who you're working with is is identifying the connections that you have and building a network and a team of, with people who are, uh, you know, in, who are in the same, uh, playing field with you and then building the team and the capacity. And I think, you know, even, you know, working up in the alarm room, you guys aren't necessarily like running on a call together, sitting side by side, but you are, you know, working on the exact same mission at the end of the day. And you have these shared experiences that are, if not the same are very similar. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you have to be advocates for one another and you have to support one another and you have to be mindful, um, of what the other people are going on, what what they're going through, um, in their lives and, and at work, the things they're experiencing. Cause you know, as much as we like to say that outside doesn't affect us, you know, the stuff we have going on in our personal life absolutely can affect us and it can affect our ability to handle these high stress events. True. And, and there are like with the timeline of the calls, the call taker touches the call channel one operator touches the call, the tactical radio operator touches the call. And then, you know, if you do a call back, that's our outbound service representative. They'll also have a hand in the call. So it, it, doesn't just affect one person in the room. Right. And then there's this lead and supervisor that occasionally check in. They tap into the, the phone call that's happening and they'll be able to monitor, like, are they getting the correct address and are they maintaining the composure of the call? Are they maintaining the integrity of our customer service? And then, you know, and then they can reach out to that operator afterwards when they know that they might need to be talked to or supported. So, a lot of people are involved in the call. It's um, the misconception is with us, with our center, um, that the person on the radio is the person that took the phone call, and that is not the case where we work. We're fortunate enough we have a large enough center that we have assigned duties at any given moment, and I might have taken a call 10 minutes ago. Well, now I'm on radios, and I don't have anything to do with the person that was asking for help earlier. So when you were working in Sun Lakes back in the day, one woman show. So you would pick up the phone call, mm-hmm. 
and then you would be so you would carry the call the entire way through. So it's like Mayberry, right? You're exactly. take you're the call taker, and then you're the tro. Like you're the whole entire show. I mean, it was in full color. It wasn't Mayberry, uh, <laughs> but it was a one woman show. But it was also um, it was a lot slower. We didn't have the volume of calls. I dealt, you know, I did have a couple times where I and where I had to answer a couple nine one ones at the same time, and that was kind of a bummer. Because I'm only me, and I'm yeah. doing the best I can. Uh, even worse is that we did not have CAD and Sun Lakes. We had pen and paper. And a computer was there um, that we could enter the calls, data entry the calls after the fact. So I'm you know, chicken scratching my notes and trying to keep my times in a logbook oh my goodness. for you know people that are... <laughs> Under the age of twenty, that is a, a paper-bound book with lines <laughs> in it that you're that you're um, writing down your times and your addresses and your details of your calls and and so yeah, Sun Lakes is it's it's been a it's been a journey since that. Yeah. So in your experience, or do you, do you know are there other agencies that are still slow enough that they're running the you know the one person shows? Yes, there are, especially on night shift in rural areas. Yeah. You know, they're not going to have the money. To yeah. pay more than one person at a time, uh, I know, and there's a there's a police agency in town, Paradise Valley. It's pretty small, uh, area wise, and they only have a handful of dispatchers on staff, and I think it's either one or two at a time in the in the evening, and then maybe three people on duty at a time during yeah. the day. Wow! So, I, I all I can think of is how lonely that would be to be by yourself in there. <laughs> um. Sounds horrible. Well, you, you have to remember, I was in the closet at the fire station, so See, there were awful. actual people in the, the <laughs> you know. But then everybody went to bed, and I had to stay up and, you know, keep myself awake all night, and that was difficult. That, yeah, that was horrible. kind of a drag. That sounds so horrible. It's a lot easier to stay up at night when you have your coworkers next to you to, you know, to talk to, to you know, play cards with or whatever, because nights are really slow. Right. Even for our department, it we take a lot less calls in the middle of the night than we do during the day. The daytime, my my hours are five a.m. to one, and so my day is pretty busy and filled with calls. And night shift is not so much. So. Yeah. So the daytime is definitely the more the peak acuity or peak hours. Yeah, we have our are... we have our like hot times, like uh, rush hour times are pretty busy. Um, Sunday mornings seem to be busy for, I don't know why, but hmm. everyone's getting up, getting ready for church. So, uh, Sunday mornings can be pretty busy. We have, um, without getting too morbid, but we have a lot of retirement communities in town and Sunday mornings seem to be the, the time for people to go. And Interesting. yeah, it is, it, it's odd. It's an odd phenomenon that I've noticed. It's a trend, I guess. And, um, uh, and hmm. then, uh, rush hour in the evening, uh, we have those what's called suicide lanes in town, and anybody from not not from here doesn't understand the concept of that. We have a middle lane on several oh, of our main arteries of the streets in town, and those lanes change direction of travel with the traffic needs, and a lot, not a lot of people clue in on that. And so it causes a lot of accidents. Well, in the rest of the world, it's a left-hand turn lane. <laughs> yeah. In our part of town, it actually becomes directional traffic, traffic depending yeah. on the time of day. Right. Yeah. You got to pay careful scary. attention yeah. to that. <laughs> and then we have some other, you know, like uh, Friday, Saturday night in Scottsdale, Friday, Saturday night in Tempe, which is ASU headquarters. It's our college town, so it's quite busy. And, uh, 
Yeah, so we've got our peak times. Yeah. Hmm. So how long have you been doing this? Uh, this Total? So I'm a recycled employee. I left Sun Lakes. I worked in Sun Lakes from 93 to 96. Got hired in Phoenix 96 to 2001. And then I um, stayed home with with babies for 12 years. <laughs> they weren't babies for the entire time, but I, I got to stay home with my kids. Hey, so it was pretty, they are always it was your amazing. babies. They are. They're <laughs> my babies. They're all adults now, but yeah, they're all my babies. And um, so 12 years I was off, and then I uh, got rehired in 2011. So, mm. so I've been there eight years now. So I think that, that having that nice, that nice little time off oh, in the middle will probably extend your career. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, definitely. I have, I have a much more positive outlook this time around. I, I don't really like the dispatcher that I was before. I was so young and immature and Interesting. Um, I've, I've had so many more personality developments this time around and so many more opportunities this time around. And I was so young, immature, self-centered and not really there for like, big picture was like there for, I want this cool job. Hmm. I, I want the prestige and I, I'm part of the Phoenix fire department. Did you know how cool we are? You know, and we, we are, but I like to think so. I, I think so. <laughs> um, but you know, now I work for the Phoenix fire department, but I work for the regional dispatch center, which is 27 other entities besides Phoenix, um, in addition to Phoenix. And so it's not just, it's no longer about me. It's more about the service we provide. And, you know, like it's, it's a really nice place to be. It's a nice mindset to be into when it's not about me. So, I, you know, it's funny how, how, when we mature, we begin to understand that a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I'm there yet, but I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. no, I think it's, uh, it's, it's great that we arrived to a place in our career where we understand like the real purpose of our, of our coming to work. And that we have some, we have a mission and we have mm-hmm. a purpose behind what we're doing. It gives it so much more value. Yeah. It's so much more enjoyable when you, when you, when you understand those things, you yeah. know, cause when you're young and it's just about yourself and you know, work is just merely a distraction from a good paycheck and, yeah. you know, good benefits. And I mean, there's a lot of good things about the job and I did recognize that back then, but you know, I, as an example, we, when you took a difficult call, uh, before, like mm-hmm. I'll just say, you know, phase one of my career or whatever, um, we would like, I would, I would kind of want a tape of that. You know, I want to listen to it again and listen, you know, how many times I got called a bad name or, <laughs> you know, and, and, and kind of share with my family members, this is how, um, you know, this is how I get treated sometimes, you know. Well, little did I know that I was contributing to being treated that way, you know, mm. um, because now I have, I still have a couple of those tapes. And those were like the, I, I want to say they're the remarkable tapes for me uh, because they're the standouts because they're so difficult and they were so trying. But they're, they're a source of shame for me now. Because I listen to myself talking to that person on the on the other end of the line, and I'm I'm more concerned with my objectives than I am talking to that person and giving them what they need to hear. You know, they mm-hmm. they need to hear my comfort and my support. And I was just all about business. Give me your, you know, what's your address? 
I asked for your address. I need your address. You know, I was fixated. And, um, I mean, they got the help they need and I'm not, I'm not a poor employee, but I, I really do. I can say without a doubt now, the calls that I take now, the people that I speak to, everyone gets the best of me, everyone, no matter how they treat me. And any call that you pull, any, any tape that you make of me, I'm proud of. And that wasn't the case back then. So interesting. Well, it's really, I'm, uh, you're proud of you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I think it's really cool that you, that you are, that you're able to reflect back on how you provided service previously and what that looked like. Um, because at the end of the day, this is a service industry. Mm -hmm. We are here for the people, right? For our community. And it's really important that we remember that Mm -hmm. every day we come to work and I don't care where you work in public safety. Um, everything that we do, whether you are in some staff position somewhere or whether you're a dispatcher or whether you're a firefighter or a police officer at the end of the day, it's about, it all ties back to Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. Right. And what do they need? And that, I mean, that's your purpose for being here. It's not about you at all. Right. So it's really cool that you're pointing that out. I think it's, um, yeah, I love that. Well, essentially what I'm trying to convey is, um, the dispatcher now that I want answering the phone call if I were to ever call and I'm the coworker that I want to sit next to. Yeah. And I'm, you know, the human being that I want to encounter in general. And that's kind of the, the adult worldly advice that I have for younger, younger people on a job. So, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. If you were, so like, what's one thing, well, I think you might've just said it, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Like what's something you would tell, you know, 20 year old Kimberly, like, Hey, ding dong, do this, be better at this. Um, I think you already said 20 year old Kimberly took a call for drowning, uh, a long time ago. And it was one of those summers where it was expose on how many drownings. We have a many, many, many swim swimming pools here and bodies of water here. And we have a lot of drownings in Phoenix sometimes. And it was one of those rash of drowning summers. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, one of many people that took a drowning call. And again, back with those recordings where you could hear yourself and hear how you acted and, how you uh, interacted with the caller. Um, I heard myself in the tape. <clears throat> it was a, a two or three year old boy and his uh, older sibling was calling and mom had the child in her arms and was running laps around the pool and she wasn't listening to any instruction. And I was kind of, let's just say I was pushy with a 14 year old trying to get him to get the mom to, you know, we need to work on the baby. We need to help the baby. And, you know, again, the human element wasn't really there for me now in retrospect. And, uh, that call ended up front page of the newspaper, um, because they were going to do a whole spread on drownings and how, serious it is. And, you know, and, and it was also like the path of the call, like who is involved in this tragedy, like the dispatcher, the, the family, the emergency room staff, the ambulance drivers, the police officers, you know, everyone that has a hand in this incident, this horrible tragedy. And we're all on the front page of the paper. I can tell you that was like 
the that's not the incident that I wanted on the front page of the Arizona Republic. Right. You know, that was not. And I didn't want to be part of it. I mean, I, I wanted to be a part of it because, you know, it's an important message. But I didn't want to be part of it because I didn't like my role in it. The way you carried your carried out your role, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I got the call processed. I, there, there were things that I did right, but there were things internally that weren't right with me. Right. About how I was speaking to a 14-year-old. And, right. You know, I mean, in the heat of the moment, you, you want to do anything you can to get someone to respond to you or talk to you or cooperate with you because you want to get your job done. Um, but that wasn't the call that I want to that I wanted highlighted or spotlighted or, you know, I didn't want any attention for that call. It wasn't anything, wasn't anything good about it. The outcome was horrible and the family was devastated and it affected so many people so negatively. And, and again, it was a rash of drownings that season. It was epidemic proportion drowning numbers. And so, you know, the message was important, but me and the way, you know, that was just not a, not a good time for me, not a good day or a good experience or anything that I was particularly happy with. And, um, so my 24 year old self was like the message is you're being watched. You know, people see you, people hear you, your coworkers hear you, your coworkers see you, uh, call histories or public record. Now, you know, even now, if I wanted to look up that call, I could probably find some record of it somewhere. And, you know, there's my hand in it. And I'm not satisfied with it. So my message to myself is that, you know, be mindful of people and, you know, be your nice self. I'm, I'm a lot nicer now and I'm a lot more caring and more focused and more dedicated to the, the, the human element of things rather than just getting the mission accomplished. The, the work the job done. Work done. Yeah. 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 I guess there's levels to the game, right? Like there's, you Very can many. say, Hey, I got it done. Yeah. You so can. you can't accuse me of not doing the job. Mm. But the way in which we do it matters, right? The way in which we talk to people. For certain. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and when communication is your primary tool, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, yeah. I think the, the tone of your voice and the words you choose to use, probably pretty impactful. It, mean, it means the world of difference to people. And you can get you can get a just hurry up and get here from someone. Or right. you can get a thank you, God bless you for what you do. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference. Yeah. And it feels different. Yeah. It certainly does for me. Have you ever gotten chewed out on the phone? Not so much lately. <laughs> I I really I've I've done a very good job. I do not get yelled at. I am very good at calming people down and it's it's That's all a matter an, an of making form. them know that I care about them. Right. And if they sense that or if they feel that or if they feel I'm qualified to give them the help they need, they have that they have that trust in me. I can mm-hmm. establish trust in a few seconds now. It's nice. How, so if you can articulate, how do you do that? The tone of my voice, mm-hmm. the words that I choose. Sometimes I ask their name so I can call them by name. Um, make sure I mention I have help on the way early on in the call because, you know, with that, with those EMD questions that come after the, I've, I'm having chest pain. Well, I have 20 questions for you. <laughs> and then they're like, well, are you coming? You know, are you, right. are I don't you want to on the answer way? Questions I yeah, I just get here. All right. <laughs> so if I, if I take the address and the nature code and the phone number and I send the call and then I start out with whatever I say, the first thing out of my mouth, I have help on the way for you, but I have a couple questions. I have help on the way. And I make sure that they hear that part 
Sometimes right. I don't hear it. Right. And then I need to do it. And then I'll reiterate. Again, I have help on the way for you, but I still have a couple more questions. I'm typing to the unit as they're driving to you. And so they oh, people truly understand paint what's a little happening. picture about what's happening that, you know, do you understand that I'm not the person that's coming, but I have help on the way to you, you know, right. just whatever, however I word it, depending on who my audience is. But yeah, those are my tools and I'm just nice. I just, I like being nice. So, and they respond to that. Um, and I, I can hear a more gruff dispatcher. I can hear a more assertive, you know, monotone, no voice inflection. And I can hear the response that they're getting too by the next thing that they say out loud, you know, so I know, I know what works and I know what doesn't, and I avoid what doesn't work. Right on. What, uh, what, if you could change one thing about your career, what would you change? probably the realizations I had later on in life. I, I, you know, that hindsight 2020, I'd love, I'd love to be the dispatcher. I am now 20 years ago. Be, be a supervisor. By now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that I, I mean, I would be actually, I'd be a training supervisor by now because that's where my heart is. Um, I would have started that path a lot quicker, you know, I don't know that I'm going to become a training supervisor now. Like I, I'm so in the sunset of my career, I guess I have 10 more years left and, um, I'm very, very happy with my shift. I'm very happy with my hours and to promote in our center would, you know, surely send me back to night shift. Change everything for you. Yeah. And at my age, I don't really, that doesn't appeal to me very much. I like my simple, happy life with, uh, eight hours sleep at night and, I like being rested and, you know, I, th- this is why I'm happy when I yeah. go to work because I've had a good night's sleep, for, you know? Yeah. Something so. to be said for quality of life. That's a very yeah. important thing to, and I, I think when, when someone's crafting their career or trying to establish their career or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, it's imp- people sometimes need to be more honest with themselves about what they mm-hmm. really want to do with their career. Yeah. So, you know, it's good that you've, I think it comes with maturity too and time. <laughs> it, <laughs> you know. Honestly, what, what was the, um, the catalyst that was different about this time around was that I had a couple really good mentors mm-hmm. and knowing what they did for my self-esteem, what they did for, you know, supporting me and forwarding me. And, you know, I move up as a supervisor and I move up out of class as a lead. That's like the second person in, in charge. And if it weren't for those mentors early on in my second phase saying, Hey, I like the way you answer calls. Do you think you'd ever consider training someone? And, you know, then the ball rolls from there. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a door that opened for me that I didn't, I didn't really see the last time around. I thought, I'm just going to work, earn my paycheck, go home, forget all about this place every night. And then, you know, and then start fresh the next day. And, And now it's like, this is a third of my life. My job is a third of my life and I want to enjoy it. I want to get the most out of it. I want to give the most back to it and I want to make it a better place when I leave. So yeah, I wish I would have gotten started on that years ago. Would have been yeah. nice. <laughs> oh, well, well, Hey, no, it's I'm doing what I can. No now. time it's, like the present. Yeah. I, there's a quote I picked up a while back. I, I probably overuse it, but I think it's apropos. It's, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Yeah. The second best time is now right now so yeah. hey man you're doing it second that's best. great second best <laughs> so let me ask you let me ask you one final question 
what is your the fit your 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 most favoriteest thing? What do you love most about your job? If you um, could pick a thing. Wow. I I guess I relationships are everything. So I feel like the peers that I have and the people I work with, the people that I work alongside with are the good one. You know, that that's the favorite moment is when I you know, we, we share knowing glances, you know, across the room and we know we got this and you know, when things get hairy or busy or whatever, I know I have a good team around me, I know I have good people next to me and so that means something. And then knowing that um, my, my highlight is I had a, I had a call where someone had coded and surprised and that's one of our outlying cities and, um, granddaughter was giving CPR instructions to grandmother and, uh, he was revived and saved. And, and I got a text message from the family about a month later saying, I'm having chips and salsa on Cinco de Mayo with my dad because of your help. And that was, I, I don't care if I never save another person again, that I can live with that for the rest of my life and know that I made a difference somewhere. So that was nice. Um, awesome. and, and the thank yous are really cool. I mean, getting a thank you is meaningful. So, yeah. I love it. Well, that's a, that's a great place to, to end right there on an uptick on a happy <laughs> note. I think that's great. Um, Kimberly, thank you for taking the time to sit down and, and, and share, um, you know, a little bit about what you do and, um, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. Hey, thanks for tuning into the Fireground fitness podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kimberly Brophy. If you like the podcast, if you don't like the podcast, shoot me some feedback. You can reach me at raingray at firegroundfitness.com or get on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, uh, rating, etc. Subscribe to the podcast. This can be found at uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. You'll find the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Now go out there and get some.